The message that I want to share with you today, Bible, that is dedicated to the teaching on resurrection. It is um, that entire chapter is about the resurrection truth, and uh, we will touch on a part of it. That's all the time I have today. What caught my attention, you know, uh, for this particular message is from verse 3, which I will read for you. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, verse 4, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, that phrase which I also received is what, to, what led to the message that I'm about to share with you today. Because what Apostle Paul is confessing there is that I was not there when Jesus was crucified. Yes, he wasn't. He was not a Christian. He was not a follower of Christ. In fact, uh, he was the enemy of the cross at that time. But he, therefore, he says that uh, I received this message from somebody else. Now, if you look at history, Apostle Paul came to Christ in five to six years after Jesus was crucified, not a long time after that, only five or six years later. But within that five or six years later, the church was already established in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, etc. You can see the earliest stage of Christian church. And already Christian church became a big institution with thousands of people already following. So when Apostle Paul says, I received this from somebody else, what is he saying? He's saying that I wasn't there to see Jesus being crucified. I wasn't there when Jesus was buried. I wasn't there when Jesus resurrected. I didn't have the privilege to be part of that company. But I got this information from the people who are eyewitnesses to what happened to Jesus Christ. Amen. And we know that uh, when we read the epistles of Apostle Peter, Peter says, we were there. We beheld his glory as one from God. So Peter tells us in his writing at the end of the New Testament that I was there. And we also know from the gospel that he was there as an eyewitness to not only the crucifixion, but the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we come to the writings of John, at the very end of the Bible, John tells us that which we have seen. Chapter 1 of 1 John. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, and that which we have touched. That's the way he talks about what happened to Jesus. That which we have seen with our own eyes, that which we have heard, the teachings of Jesus, that we heard with our own ears, and we touched physically touched Jesus Christ when he was on the face of the earth. Therefore, I write to you what Jesus asked the Christians to do. And we know that that message was about love, which uh, I spoke last Sunday about. Amen. So it makes sense in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 12, when Apostle Paul tells us, Now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead. Yes, it was being preached. Because if you look at the book of Acts, the very first message in Acts chapter 2 was about the, the death, 
burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you look at the message in chapter 3, it's about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you look at the message in chapter 4, it was about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. We don't have a new message. Even when I come here or when I text you or email you during the week and say, Hey, I have a fresh message from the Lord to share with you on Sunday. Make sure you are here on Sunday morning to listen to it. Let me tell you, it is not actually a fresh message. Because Christianity has only one message to preach. Amen. And uh, for the last, actually from January, because in the month of January, I had to preach in a big campaign, you know, preach through online. But in a big campaign. And, and I was preparing something. And I started thinking, Lord, I don't have anything else to say. Basically, what I am saying is what preacher preached 2,000 years ago. The very first message of the Christian church is given to us in Acts chapter 2. And what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 is what I am preaching to you today. We haven't added anything to it. We haven't taken anything away from it. Therefore, we can truthfully say that we have been honest to the word of God. Amen. Christian church has been preaching that same message for the last 2,000 years. So, Apostle Peter, I mean Apostle Paul, is telling the Corinthians about, about roughly about 20 to 25 years after Jesus resurrected. If Christ is being preached wherever they went, that was their message. If Christ is being preached that he has been raised from the dead, how come some of you say now that he did not? Isn't that a very valid question? And that's uh, one of the main questions that uh, we will be looking at uh, uh, today. Amen. Please go to the next slide, please. Uh, because I didn't print out notes today. See, in the 20th century, we had a big problem. Not Hindus, not Muslims. Christians, liberal Christians, were sneering at the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was very fashionable up to about the 1990s to say that this is a myth. Resurrection of Jesus is a myth. It's not true. It cannot happen. It cannot happen. And they came up with all kinds of arguments why it cannot happen. Some people say that uh, you know, miracles are against the laws of nature, so miracles cannot happen. Some people say that uh, you know, miracles were the, the, the thinking of the primitive people. We are educated people today, so we don't think along that line. All kinds of arguments. Probably the most famous book along that line that uh, denounced the resurrection of Jesus was Da Vinci Code. Does anybody remember Da Vinci Code? Probably that was the more last famous book written along that line. And then I started noticing a trend. From this pulpit, if you have been coming here for a number of years, I have always decried against these writings. But for the last two years, I started noticing a trend. No new book is coming out during Easter time, denouncing resurrection. No new book is coming out saying that resurrection is a myth. And two years ago, when I started noticing that trend, I thought, oh, it's because people are preoccupied with COVID. <laughs> you know, everybody's worried about COVID, that's why. Then nothing came last year. Nothing came out this year either. 
And when nothing came out this year either, as a student of the Bible, I started to research it. I started to think, what is going on? Because uh, ever since I came here in the end of 1970s, every year without exception, at the time of Easter, there would be either a book or a movie or a television show denouncing Jesus Christ. But then all of a sudden I stopped. So I started wondering what is going on and I started researching what is going on. And you know what happened? What I found out? That the seminaries have changed. The seminaries used to be so liberal. In fact, I remember when God first called me into ministry, I wanted to go and join a couple of seminaries. One seminary told me, very good in teaching the Bible, but one seminary told me that uh, you are coming from a Pentecostal background, and if you write on a piece of paper that you will not speak in tongues anymore, we will give you admission. I said, keep your admission to yourself. I went to another seminary right here in New York City. And then they said, you have to acknowledge our statement of faith. And when I read through the statement of faith, it was so liberal. I had to wonder, is this really a seminary or a liberal arts college? So I walked away from there. I walked away from there. Then I did my studies online. Okay, and my final studies is about to be finished pretty soon. Okay. Um, anyway, what I'm trying to say is, seminaries were very liberal. I mean, so many books that I have bought last two years in a part of a research that I am doing. It is so liberal. When you read it, you will begin to wonder, these people are Christians? These people call themselves Christians? They are not really Christians. They are seminary professors. They have PhDs and THDs and all this stuff. But the writing... All of the Christian institution, from St. Peter's Basilica all the way to Gateway Christian Center, depend on one statement. All of the institutions of Christianity depend on one statement. Because if Christ is not resurrected, as Paul told us in that same chapter, your faith is in vain. Everything that we do is a waste of time. But Christianity was fighting against itself. Christian institutions were fighting against itself for a long time. It started at the beginning of the 19th century and continued almost into the 1990s. But you want to know now? Now that wind is blowing in the opposite direction. Because they realized that they came out with all these thousands of books denouncing Christians, but Christianity is still growing. Hello? Christianity is still growing. Amen. They came out with all these books. All these scholars wrote all these books. They did not destroy Christianity. They couldn't make a dent in this truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ despite all the books that they wrote. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. And then uh, they realized that uh, the church is keeping quiet. You know, that's a beautiful example of how to resist evil. Because while these people were doing all this, the church kept quiet. And church kept coming on Sunday morning and kept on praising the risen Christ. Amen. And the church kept on marching forward. Hallelujah. And the church saw more and more people accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Amen. So much so that more than 2.5 billion people on the face of the earth today is proud to call themselves Christians. You are not in the majority. 
I mean, you are not in the minority. Turn to somebody and say, No, I am not in the minority. Sometimes when you watch the news, sometimes watch, when you watch the TV, you think that, Oh, there are no Christians left on the face of the earth. That's not true. More than 2.5 billion people are proud to call themselves Christians. Come on, somebody praise God in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go to the next slide. Do you know what caused this? If I may go a little more deeper into this. It was the story of the empty tomb. What was the big issue on the first resurrection Sunday morning? The issue was the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene and a couple of other ladies came back to the apostles who were hiding in fear of the Jewish community and told them, we were there. And the tomb is empty. And Peter and John ran to the tomb, the Bible says. To check it out for themselves. And they went there, they saw that the tomb is actually empty. The tomb is actually empty. And then they came. And then we know that Jesus gave them a mission. Told Mary Magdalene to tell the apostles to meet him in Galilee. And they met him in Galilee, etc. So the problem... The world had was the empty tomb. The, pro- the reason why the world could not destroy Christianity was the empty tomb. Because the world didn't see the resurrected Jesus, only his disciples saw. But the whole world saw the empty tomb. And even now you can go to Israel, and some of us went there a couple of years ago, and you can see the empty tomb is still there, cut out. You know, a cut out little sepulchre. You can still see it. And people couldn't do away with the empty tomb. Became a problem for the world. So what happened in Matthew chapter 28? We read in Matthew chapter 28, the soldiers came to the high priest and said, listen, we were there as the Roman government told us, but something happened, you know, an angel appeared and rolled away the stone and... uh, then Jesus came out and he's gone. We, we couldn't keep him there. And what was the response when the high priest tell a lie about the empty tomb? Don't worry. You tell a story that while you were sleeping, somebody came and stole the body of Jesus. And you know, Roman soldiers were not allowed to sleep. In the middle of their duty, they could lose their head for doing that. But uh, they knew, the high priest knew that they could control Pilate because they already did. Remember, Pilate wanted to let Jesus go, but they convinced him to crucify Jesus. So they knew that they can control Pilate. So they said, don't worry, don't worry. If it becomes a big issue, we will influence the governor and you guys will be okay. And they started saying a lie about the empty tomb. And you know that lie has continued through the centuries all the way up to 20th century. We see the story of the empty tomb being lied about. But at the same time, the Bible emphasized that. In Acts chapter 2, Apostle Peter talked about it. And I love the way Peter talked about it. You know how Peter presented that? Peter said, hey, let me tell you an example. If you guys don't get this, let me show you two famous people from our community. One is King David. And the other person is this Jesus that we are talking about. 
King David was already dead for a thousand years by that time. And he said, his tomb is still here. And the place where Jesus was placed, I mean the, the sepulcher where Jesus was placed, also is still here. If you guys don't want to accept our message, go visit uh, David's tomb. It's still closed. By the way, the David's tomb is still in Israel. You can go and visit that too. Come, ornamentally closed because he was a famous king. Whereas, when you go to the place where Jesus was laid, it is completely open. You can actually walk in. You can actually walk in. You know, just like Peter and John walked into that. You can actually walk in there. Amen. So, the story of the empty tomb was the biggest challenge of uh, the world. Apostle Paul mentions that also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He doesn't use the word tomb, but he talks about the people who saw it. And he says there are more than 500 people still around who saw all these things. If you don't want to accept my message, you can go and check it out. Amen. And, uh, and then in the 20th century, okay, also it, this became a big issue. Can you see this book on the, on the screen? Can you read the title of that book? The title of the book is Who Moved the Stone? This book was written almost 100 years ago in the 1930s by a British guy whose pen name was Frank Morrison. That's not his real name. I forgot his real name now. It's uh, three, three names together. I, I forgot it now. Anyway, this is a he name he wrote, uh, pen name that he used when he wrote things. And you know, this guy was an atheist and a journalist. And in the beginning of the 20th century, it was very fashionable to say that resurrection is a myth. And you know, a British, you know, this is a British guy who gave us the King James Bible. England gave us the King James Bible. And people were going to England to study in Oxford and Cambridge in those days. You know, they were the best schools in the world. And, but when they went there, even the Christian leaders, when they went there for their higher studies, these, some, these universities were teaching that the resurrection is a myth. So, this man was very well known at that time. So somebody challenged him, why don't you write a book about it and just, you know, put the nail on the coffin. Finish, let's finish this argument. And he did. And he did a lot of research and wrote this book. One of the best books you can read in Christian apologetics. You know, I encourage you to get a copy of it on Amazon. And you know what, what happened to this man? When he actually did more and more research, he realized that uh, the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. So he had to ask a question. If the tomb was empty, and the Romans had this big circular stone in front of a heavy stone, in front of that sepulcher, who moved the stone? The soldiers wouldn't move the stone. Because they were put there to guard that stone. The disciples could not have moved that stone. Because they were so afraid. They were in hiding. The, the community could not have moved that stone. Because the community was the one who cried. Crucify him. Crucify him. So the question is who moved the stone then? He came to a conclusion. It has to happen. The way the Bible says. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What does the Bible say? An angel of the Lord came and rolled away the stone. Hallelujah. This atheist, this journalist who started out to prove 
that resurrection is a myth, ended up becoming a follower of Christ. Let me tell you, he's not the only person who has, uh, who has gone through that. Okay, um, in our generation, there is another man named like that. His name is Lee Strobel. He has written a book called The Case, the Case for Easter. You know, he has written a number of books, Case for Christianity, Case for Easter, etc. You know, I encourage you guys to buy some books and read. Amen? So you can get all the details about these things. Let's go to the next slide. I have to finish. I have a few more minutes, okay? Thank God. Go to the next slide, please. So you know what, what turned the wind around in the scholarly circles is something that they call the minimum facts approach in uh, research. Minimum facts approach. The minimum facts approach means you get rid of all the fluff. Get rid of all the fluff. Forget about what Peter said. Forget about what the lady said. Forget about, you know, all the, what you think consider as fluff. Okay, and just look at the facts alone and come to your conclusion based on the facts. And when they did research based on this minimum facts approach, they came to two conclusions. Number one, the tomb was really empty. Nobody, nobody, no atheist, no agnostic, no liberal theologian, nobody could disprove the fact that the tomb was empty that Sunday morning. That first Easter Sunday morning. The tomb was empty. All the researchers came to that same conclusion. And you know now who is acknowledging that? Even atheists are acknowledging that. For some reason the tomb wasn't. They won't say Jesus resurrected. Because they are atheists. But they will say that for some reason the tomb was empty. <laughs> so because of that conclusion... The seminaries are becoming more conservative now, okay? And the second thing that they, they concluded was that uh, the original account of the apostles were genuine. They did not fabricate anything. They did not make up any stories. All of them were true eyewitness accounts for which they paid with their uh, life. Now, yesterday, I always, this, this Good Friday weekend, I always watch some TV, not movies, to see what are they talking about Easter this year. You know, because every year, like I said, they used to say negative things. Yesterday I was on Channel 13, you know, the PBS station, and they were talking about the early Christianity from first century through fourth century. And I sat there and watched it for two hours. I wanted to see what they're going to say in the end. And I was surprised to say, um, surprised to see that uh, they acknowledge that the Christians were genuine. You know? And in the end, all the professors that they were interviewing for that show, they all said the same thing. Two things they could not deny about the Christians, the first century through the fourth century, the time period that they covered. Two things the world could not deny about the Christians. One, their message was consistent. What Apostle Peter said in the first message of the Christianity in Acts chapter 2 was the same message being preached everywhere. It was so consistent. If it's a lie, you know that. It will not be consistent. Right? Are you with me? 
Are you all educated folks here, right? Now, how does, how does the police find out if your brother is saying, saying a true or a lie? <laughs> you know, one police officer will come and interview first, and then he will get out of the room. Another guy will come. Then that guy get out of the room. Then another lady will come, and she will interview. You know, they keep going interviewing for, for a couple of hours by many different people. If you are saying a lie, you will not be consistent. You will not be consistent. You will change. And the change will add up, add up, add up, and you end up with a different story. And that's the problem with the lies. But you know, I have always said that the truth is always strong enough to stand on its own two legs. <laughs> it doesn't need any clutches. Amen? It can, it can stand on its own two legs. Amen? And, and you know, when you're telling the truth, you know what is the beauty of the truth? You can keep on repeating the same thing again and 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 again for 2,000 years and the story will not change. Hallelujah. Before I got up here behind this podium this morning to tell this story, do you know how many millions of pastors and priests have stood behind their pulpit and told the same story? But the story is still the same. Because we are telling the truth. Hallelujah. That's what these professors were acknowledging yesterday on this secular channel. There's a Christian... The testimony or the message was consistent. It didn't change. And the second thing that they noticed about Christians were that the lifestyle. Please listen to me, church. This is something we have to pay attention to. And this is an area where we are, we are failing Christ in our generation. Because the second thing that they said for the first four centuries of Christianity, the whole world looked at Christians and acknowledge their lifestyle. They said they are different from us. And they are so truthful. They will not lie. They will not cheat. They will not take anything from you. They will not steal. This is not the church saying. This is the world saying. So the Christian lifestyle became a powerhouse. Testimony about the truth that they preach from the pulpit. And the Christianity kept on increasing and became... You know, so numerous that despite the persecutions that they had, they couldn't stop Christianity. Long before Constantine became a Christian, Christianity had already become so powerful in Europe because of the lifestyle of the people who called themselves Christians. And therefore, I want to acknowledge this morning and advise the followers of Christ. Let's watch out how we live. Let's watch our words. Let's watch our actions. Let's watch what we do out there. When we mingle with the worldly people, we can never, never forget that you call yourself a Christian. Because the world is watching you. Amen. So, totally our message is important. Our lifestyle also is very important. Amen. Finally, going to the last uh, slide. This in itself is a message, but I'm going to summarize it, okay? Uh, last month, this, these factors came to my attention because after Jesus resurrected, thank God he didn't go straight to heaven. Listen to me. Theologically, there would be absolutely nothing wrong if early Sunday morning, 
His body came back to life and he just disappeared and went to heaven. Theologically, it would be incomplete because he fulfilled his mission on the cross. He said, it is finished. But I'm so grateful he didn't do it. You know why? Because how can I be so passionate about the resurrection story if nobody ever saw him after his resurrection? You know why this is so important? Catholic Church teaches that Mary went to heaven. Okay? Now compare their story with the account of Jesus in the Bible. So I asked somebody when they were sharing that question, tell me the eyewitness account of the people who saw Mary go into heaven. And they said, what? I said, yeah, give me the eyewitness account of the people who saw Mary being lifted up to heaven just like Jesus did. Number two, Muslims say that uh, Muhammad went to heaven and Muhammad lived in Saudi Arabia, in the Arabian Peninsula. But according to them, he went to heaven from Jerusalem. That itself is an issue for me. You know, how come you're living in the Arabian Peninsula and you're going, heaven to, going to heaven from uh, Jerusalem? Why? Because that was the port of entry to heaven? <laughs> it's a problem for me. I'm a thinking person. It's a problem for me. And the next question I have is, again, I ask the same question. Give me an eyewitness account. Tell me who saw him going to heaven. Centuries later, you wrote it down that he went to heaven. Okay. And all of us, they say, all of us believe that he went to heaven. Okay. You can believe. But give me an account, eyewitness account. Of somebody who saw him going to heaven. They don't have it. They don't have it. And compare that to what Jesus did. That's why I said I'm so grateful that he didn't go to heaven right away. <laughs> Amen. Look, I have written down four things there. Number one, there are five scriptural indicators that Jesus is still alive. Okay? Five indicators from the Bible. Number one, he appeared to more than 500 people. Now we know that that morning itself, he had an encounter with Mary Magdalene. He had an encounter with Peter and the apostles. And then, you know, at the very end of all the Gospels, we can read, he interacting with his uh, disciples. And when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Apostle Paul tells us there were more than 500 people who saw Jesus after his resurrection, number one. Number two is his public ascension. That's what I was just referring to. When people say Mary went to heaven, but nobody saw it. They say, yes, believe it. And I can't, somebody like me cannot just believe it. I need proof. And they say, the most, I mean, Muhammad went to heaven, but there's no eyewitness account. Just believe it. Sorry, I cannot. I need, I, I need proof. Whereas when Jesus went to heaven in Acts chapter 1, he was still with his disciples. All of them were standing together on the Mount of Olives. Amen. And he was giving them final instruction to sit, wait in that city until the Holy Spirit came down. Until they received the power. And he told them, you shall receive power. And then you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the end of the world. And he was giving them the final instruction and telling them, don't go any, don't do anything. I have given you a mission. Don't do anything. Just wait here. And after all the instructions were done, all of a sudden he said, Shalom. And he started going up in front of all of them. And they saw him being lifted up. 
and covered by a cloud. And the cell kept looking. Is he going to fall down? Is he going to fall down from there? The castle kept looking. And then all of a sudden an angel appeared. And said, man of Galilee, why are you staring? Up into the sky. How many times he already had told you about this? Because he had told them, behold, I'm going to be taken away from you. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to prepare a place for you. After I prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive all of you unto me. Didn't you hear all of that? So why are you still staring at the sky? But then the angels repeated the message that Jesus had told them. And what did the angels say? This same Jesus. Hallelujah. The same Jesus whom you see today being lifted up from you will come back in the same manner. Hallelujah. Somebody praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what we are waiting for. Amen. When we repeat 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 at the time of funerals and say, the trumpet shall sound and the Lord shall descend. It's not just a story because that's a promise the angels gave. The same Jesus whom you see being lifted up from you today will come back in the same manner. Hallelujah. So wherever he went, he's going to come back from there in the same manner. Before I continue and conclude my message, I want to ask you a question though. If he come back today, are you ready? Because there's only one reason why he's coming back. To receive his people unto himself. Are you ready? If you're not, think about that for a moment. Amen. Hallelujah. So the second, uh, second uh, scripture indication is uh, uh, his public ascension to heaven in Acts chapter 1. And the third uh, indication is pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Because what did Jesus say about that? Jesus said, I will go to my father and ask of my father. And when I ask of my father, my father, because remember when he was on the face of the earth, the Holy Spirit was on him. And he said, and I ask of my father, my father will send the Holy Spirit to you. So, and Jesus, just when he was being ascended, he told them to stay in that city. He didn't tell them how many days they had to wait there. And they waited on the 10th day, which happened to be the day of Pentecost. Just like Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit came down and fell on all of them. So what does that teach you? That teaches you that Jesus Christ went to his father, just like he said. This was not a crazy man doing some crazy talk. This is the one who came from heaven telling us on earth, us earthlings, that he is going to go back to heaven. He is going to go back to where he came from. And then he's going to stay there and he's going to intercede on our behalf. And the first intercession of Christ Jesus for, for us to receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Fourth indicator is in Acts chapter 7. When, when Stephen was being martyred, I don't have time to go through the details of it. You can read it later at home. When Stephen was being martyred, 
you know, as the stones started falling on him, they were stoning him to death. And uh, being a true follower of Christ, he looked up to heaven. And what did he tell us? What did he tell the eyewitnesses? He said, I see heavens opened to receive me. And when I look up into heaven, I see Jesus standing on the right hand side of Father God. Oh, I thought you would be more excited in this place this morning. I thought you would be more excited this morning. Amen. This man, in the agony of being stoned to death, he's looking up to heaven and he's acknowledging that I see Jesus. If you wonder where Jesus went, second proof that Jesus is in heaven is Stephen's testimony. He said, I see Jesus. Standing up to receive me on the right hand side of the Father. Second proof that Jesus is in heaven now. And the third proof, last proof, and the fifth reference in the Bible about the post-resurrection life of Jesus is the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, what happened to Apostle John, the beloved disciple of Jesus? He says in Acts chapter 4, I mean, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, On the day of the Lord, I was worshipping all alone in the island of Patmos where he was banished. He was all alone, but it didn't affect his worship. While he was worshiping, he looked up and he saw heaven opened again. And a voice spoke to him from heaven. Come up here. I will show you what is going to happen in human history. And we got the book of Revelation. And when he went to heaven in chapter 5, Apostle John tells us that uh, he saw a scroll and the scroll was the deed of the earth. I don't have time to go to that part of the story. And then a question was raised and the question was, who is worthy to receive this scroll and open the seals on the scroll? There were seven seals on it. For a moment he didn't see anybody and he started crying. Then an angel came to him and said, do not cry. Turn around and look. When he turned around, he saw a lamb as slain before the foundations of the earth. Where do we hear that phrase in the Bible? First time. First chapter of the Gospel of John. It's the same John writing the last book in the Bible and telling us that this same Jesus who passed by one day and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The same John is telling us, I am in heaven now. I am seeing everything in heaven. It's of course a vision. vision. But he said, I am in heaven. I can see everything. And I turned around to see who is coming to receive this scroll and open its seals. I saw conclusion. I want to tell you there is a statement in the Bible. That says, heaven must contain him until that day. Heaven must contain him until that day. In other words, Jesus has to stay in heaven until that day. You know what day they are talking about? The day of his return. The day the father will tell him, go receive your bride. Go back to earth and receive the people who have been waiting for you. 
for generations and generations and generations. And I am sure this morning that Jesus is anxious to come and receive all of us unto himself. So I want to ask you again, as we are standing up to pray, are you ready for this Jesus? If we come back today, if today is the day that Jesus will stop his stay in, uh, in heaven and decide to come back again, are you ready? If Jesus come back today, will you go with him? Please think about that as you stand up all over this place and the worship team come forward. Hallelujah. 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 Every eye is closed for a minute. Every eye is closed for a minute. I don't want you to leave from here without an answer this morning. If you're not sure that if Jesus comes back today and you will be with him, amen, I want you to make today the day you make sure of that. Today, let today be the day you make sure of that. Because the Bible tells us that uh, Jesus himself told us that I will in no way cast away anyone who comes unto me. He's ready to receive you. He's ready to receive you as a child of God. He's ready to forgive all your sins because he already paid for your sins on that cross. And he wants you to be part of the crowd that will be waiting for him return, which can happen at any moment. Amen? So, if you have never taken that step in your life, by inviting Jesus into your life, or giving your heart to Jesus, let this Easter Sunday be the day that you will do that. So I want to invite you to take that step in your life. How do you take that step? Very simple. All you have to do is pray a simple prayer. Because there's nothing else you have to do. You don't have to light up a candle. You don't have to visit any holy places. You don't have to dip any holy rivers. Nothing. All you have to do is pray a simple prayer. Because everything he has done already, you just have to receive it by faith. So, if there is anybody who wants to pray that prayer, I will lead you in that prayer in a moment. You can slip up your hands in the presence of God and I will give you that, I will tell you that prayer. Amen. Anybody here? Thank you. I see your hands in the back. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else want to pray that prayer and invite Jesus into your life? Amen. Thank you. I see another hand. Anyone else? Thank you. I see another hand. Thank you. Hallelujah. All the eyes closed in this place, please. So I want to ask the people who raised their hands and also anyone else who was bashful to raise their hands to pray this, repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I confess all the sins I have done in my life. Please wash them away with your precious blood. Make me a child of you. Help me to wait with expectation for your return. Because you live, I can live also. Because you resurrected, my body also shall be resurrected. Thank you for this great hope. Thank you for hearing my prayers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.